Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. For this edition, highlights from a presentation by attorney Tom DeVore on political engagement and a controversial safety act set to kick in in January. Mr. DeVore has repeatedly challenged Governor Pritzker's executive orders related to the COVID pandemic. Mr. DeVore is the Republican candidate for Illinois Attorney General. The remarks that were featuring were made during a recent meeting hosted by the Crete Township Republican Organization in Will County. David Smith, chairman of the organization and the executive director of Illinois Family Action, served as moderator at the event. I start off every time I talk about the Safety Act with just a brief introduction of what makes America great. And I would say to you, aligning with that, political heroes. Anybody in here got any political heroes? Yeah. Hmm. I don't have any. Anybody want to tell me some of theirs? I don't. Reagan, okay, great man, Trump, <laughs> okay, I voted for him, but I would disagree with you. There are no such thing. If you're waiting for political heroes to come into this state or come into this country to save us from what ails us, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. You know what makes America great? Does the Constitution of the United States of America start off we, the political heroes? <laughs> Does it? Now, those founders of this nation, in my mind, were legends. They're not heroes. They were men who had the courage to stand up for what they believed was right and do something that was extremely great. We agree with that. Yep. But it says we the people. It's really that simple. If the people of this state don't collectively stand up and say we're going to lead in the direction that we think we need to lead, it's not going to happen. It will never happen. You can elect Darren Bailey's governor. Darren's my friend. And if you think electing him or me to these offices and you can go back to doing whatever you were doing, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. A couple things might happen that you think, oh, yeah, they're doing the right things now. Go back to golfing. We're going to go back to doing these things. And five years from now, ten years from now, nothing's going to change. Because the people have to get involved in their government at every level and sustain it. Because what makes America great is one thing, and it starts at the top with self-governance. Yep. Self-governance. Yep. That's what makes us distinguishable from any nation that came before us, and we have to preserve it. Because if you, I'm 53 years old. I started from nothing and came to where I was at, and I failed in not spending enough time participating in my government. So we all woke up in March of 2020 where a governor got on TV and said, I hereby proclaim by executive decree that you can't leave your house unless you have an essential reason. You can't go to church. You can't go. Your business can't be open. Now, the pot shops were good, and so were the casinos, but the other ones weren't. And who decided who was essential and who wasn't? Your governor. And we let it happen for far too long. And I fought back at every turn, not because of masks or vaccines, or things of that nature. I fought back because you had a governor proclaiming by fiat that this was law and not your legislature. Now, the Safety Act. How many of you in here know how that became law in the state of Illinois? 
One, two, three, half a dozen. When did it start? 2019, January, a seven-page bill dealing with voting rights of those who have been incarcerated to be released came into existence in your House of Representatives, January of 19. It went through the House, and in April of 19, it passed your House of Representatives and went to the Senate, and it sat the Senate for two years. Now, in November 2020, you voted in the election cycle, and you put in place some of your House members back, some of your senators you put back, but some were unelected. So between November of 20 and January 13th of 2021, when your new General Assembly took over, that was the lame duck session. You've all heard those words, right? The reason it's lame duck is because there are representatives in the General Assembly who aren't coming back after January 13th. So on January 10th, 2021, three days before your new General Assembly takes over, L.G. Sims, a senator, did what's called a gut replace. I want you to think back of what I said when I first started, is that the only way that this state gets back on the right track is by you starting to understand and pay attention to how your government works, because they rely upon, Democrat and Republican, your ignorance, because we're busy living our lives. So L.G. Sims guts the seven-page bill and turns it into what eventually becomes 760-something pages known as the Safety Act. And the Senate voted on it at 4 a.m. in the morning when you're all asleep and your senator never had a chance to read it. It goes back to the House. Now, many of you would say, okay, it goes back to the House, Tom. Our House of Representatives get to go through it and review it and we can see what's going on. No, 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 no. That's not the rules of your General Assembly because they pass their own rules. All they have to do is vote on it again. So one hour before the new General Assembly took over, they finally browbeat the 60th vote that they needed out of the Democrats to pass the Safety Act. Do you think any of them read it? 760-some <laughs> pages? I don't care how smart you are, you don't read that in that, that short of time. That bill was a product of special interest groups who had been preparing it for years, waiting for the right political opportunity to shove it through the General Assembly, and it worked. And Governor Pritzker signed it in February of 2021, and it was so necessary, and it was so important to the health and safety of the people of this state that they postponed it being implemented for two years. <laughs> I didn't know. So again, I'm not Tom's up up here trying to be pretentious. I didn't know. I was busy. Now what we're all doing in February 2021, we were really busy fighting for our children's futures and our businesses, etc. That's right. And the General Assembly couldn't even really meet that much because of COVID, you know. So they had a perfect political opportunity to shove that baby through. And they did it. That the way that we pass what I would call contentious laws is how it happens in Illinois. And at some point, we have to stop that as people. Yep. Because what does it give us? The Safety Act. And let's talk about the Safety Act. You'll hear people talk about it. Oh, it says this. It doesn't say that. This is a lie. This is disinformation. And at no time do you hear them actually talking about the statute. 725 ILCS 5-110-6.1. That's the statute. They'll never talk about that because that's not in line with their propaganda. I am telling you what the statute citation is because... I've actually read it, and that citation that I just gave you, that it doesn't matter if you remember those numbers, is where it creates the categories of offenses, of criminal offenses for which someone accused of a crime may be detained, may be detained. If you are alleged to have committed one of the crimes in that section, you may be detained. Now, logical reasoning tells you that if it's not within those sections, 
you can't be detained. The governor will say, oh, non-detainable doesn't exist in the statute. The word non-detainable does not exist. But when the statute says you may be detained only if you commit one of these categories, by logical reasoning, anything else is outside the bounds. Pretty simple. What's not in those categories? Second-degree murder, arson, robbery, kidnapping, every drug offense in our criminal code. Every drug offense in the criminal code. If someone's selling dope on the street, and they get arrested, and they get processed, they're going to be released back on their promise alone only to return within 48 hours. They, can't, they never see the judge. Now, when you hear people say, well, the judge has discretion, the judge has discretion, you have to actually get in front of the judge before his discretion may be exercised. And what I told you is that only if you fall within these categories do you ever see the judge. So what's going to happen is for those who are charged with an offense that's not in the categories, they're going to be processed and released, and they never go in front of the judge. So the judge doesn't have any discretion because he never sees them. Your state's attorney knows that. Mr. Glasgow knows that. He's been one of the main opponents of this law because he knows everything that I'm explaining to you right now to be true. That's the issue. When you see the memes, the memes are 100% true. And the fact checkers that the governor's probably encouraging, let's say, try to say it's false. It's not false. I have challenged anyone in the United States of America to stand right here with me and explain why it's false. They won't do it because it's true. Did they do it on purpose? You could have your opinion on that, but I'm saying it doesn't matter. It was a product of the way that it got pushed through your legislature. I explain that process to you is because when we as people allow laws to be created like that, you get these absurd results. The last thing about the Safety Act that I'll give to you is when we release someone on their promise to return, because you can't put a bond in place anymore to incentivize compliance, just their promise. What happens when they don't return to court for the hearing that they're supposed to return on? What happens now? They issue a warrant for your arrest. And if you had posted any money, you could lose it, but that's going to be gone. They issue a warrant for your arrest. With the new law, if you don't return for your hearing, can they issue a warrant for their arrest anymore? They do not. They cannot issue a warrant for their arrest. You know what they can issue? An order to show cause. It's a civil document. And what it means in English is that, hey, you were supposed to be in court on this day. You didn't show up. We really need you to show up. Here's the order. Now... What the lawyers and the judges in this room know is that an order to show cause has to be served on the defendant before it's enforceable. Right now, if someone doesn't show up to court and a warrant gets issued for their arrest, do any of you in here think that your law enforcement takes that warrant and goes out looking for those persons accused of crimes? They don't. They don't have the time or the resources. It goes into a system called leads, and then if they get pulled over for speeding or there's some other issue and they see that warrant, they get arrested and detained and back in court. That order that I'm telling you now has to be served. So once they don't show up for court and they can't have a warrant and that order to show cause is issued, law enforcement has to go serve that on them within 48 hours of the hearing or they never have to show back up. Do you think your law enforcement right now has the time, energy, and resources to even go out and try to find them, let alone find them? No. So those, those cases are going to languish forever. And when... Those accused of crimes, especially repeat offenders who we can then legitimately call criminals, they're very clever. 
And they're going to realize that they're going to get one get-out-of-jail-free card, and until they've actually been served with that order, they don't have to show up. What's the biggest interstate around here? I'll leave you with this. Where am I? I-80. I-80. Traveling down I-80, you're from New Mexico, and you're traveling drugs, running drugs through our country. Because I'm telling you, if this law comes into effect, the drug runners are going to, Illinois is going to be a free-for-all for this reason. You pull them over, they got two pounds of coke in the trunk. And they get arrested, takes them into jail. It's not a detainable offense under the statutes because it's not in the seven categories. They process them, they give them a piece of paper that says you have to appear in court in 30 days. And they're gone, back to wherever they come from. Let's say New Mexico. They don't show up to court. Oh, we're going to issue an order to show cause. Somebody going to go serve them in New Mexico? Of course not. Those cases will never be resolved. That's the reality of the Safety Act. It's undisputable. We have now 50, as of last week, up to, I think, 60 or 70 of the county state's attorneys in Illinois are suing the governor, the General Assembly, and your attorney general because of this unconstitutional law. It is unconstitutional. There's not a question about it whatsoever for numerous reasons. And your attorney general should have been defending you. Amen. He should have been. I was in a, I'll leave you with this. I was in a Zoom debate with the attorney general, and this young reporter, who let's say leans a little left, says, well, Mr. DeVore, he says, the letter signed it. You as the attorney general would have the obligation to defend it. And I looked at him. I said, let me tell you something. If the legislature passes it and the governor signs it and it's unconstitutional, the attorney general has a duty to the people, which are his most important client, to fight back and to sue the governor and the legislature saying that that's an unconstitutional law to harm the people and you cannot do it. But you know why Kwame Raul won't do that? Who knows why he won't do it? Who's his number one financial contributor? J.B. Pritzker. Who's number two? Number two, the Illinois Democratic Party, which is controlled by Pritzker and Madigan, and now Christopher Welch. And number three, Mike Madigan. He is not going to do any of these things because his political survival depends upon it. All that I could do, is, if I'm your attorney general, is to do two things. One, make sure that the system works the way that the Constitution says that it's supposed to work. That's all I can do. Make sure that the governor doesn't overreach his authority, the legislature doesn't overreach yours, theirs, and the judiciary does its job. Part of my organization will be to inform the public and keep them apprised of the bills that are being presented to change law or add law, etc. Because I need you to be informed. But that's a small part. But you actually have to want to be informed. You have to want to be informed. Because this crowd right here, that's great. When the election's over on November 9th, and then David starts having events and other people, yep. be honest with yourself. Please, are you going to go? Right. Are you going to pay attention? Because if you're not, don't vote for me. Vote for the other guy. Because I am here standing going, you want to fix this thing? I'll give you the power, but you've got to be able to wield it. I can't wield it. You've got to wield it. Attorney Tom DeVore, the Republican candidate for Illinois Attorney General. More of his remarks from a meeting hosted by Creek Township Republicans after this.
Big Abortion Inc. does not want you to see The Matter of Life, a new compelling documentary film that the Illinois Family Institute is bringing to you free of charge at a location near you. Click events at IllinoisFamily.org. A Matter of Life goes beyond the politics surrounding abortion. This is a moral issue. God is the author and creator of life. The Matter of Life takes on the propaganda that calls abortion a right, health care, and choice. Catherine Walker and Ricky Gersh with 40 Days for Life Aurora believe in the matter of life. And it's so informative on so many levels. It is powerful. Mm -hmm. It really does show the inside of what's going on. In post-Roe America, you need to see the matter of life. For dates, times, and locations, click events at IllinoisFamily.org, IllinoisFamily.org. With a one-minute look at culture from a Christian worldview, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. Well, the results are in, despite what pro-abortion advocates say, many women who chemically abort their babies do experience regret. And these abortions frequently occur in isolation at home, especially now that the Food and Drug Administration allows these pills to be sent by mail order without requiring an in-person meeting with a medical provider. In a recent study, of the 114 women who claim to have chemically aborted their babies, 6 out of 10 said that chemical abortion is, quote, a traumatic experience that can include physical pain, emotional distress, lasting feelings, Feelings of isolation for which they desire help, but most don't know where to turn, end quote. One woman in the survey said it was a hundred times more painful than I was told. It took over 12 hours to completely expel the tissue. It was so much more traumatic than a surgical abortion, end quote. If you know a woman who's experienced a chemical abortion, the Abortion Pill Reversal Network or support after abortion organizations can help. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. During this edition, we're featuring comments from attorney Tom DeVore, the Republican candidate for Illinois Attorney General. He made his remarks at a recent event hosted by the Crete Township Republican Organization. David Smith served as moderator. He's the chairman of the organization and the executive director of Illinois Family Action. The Constitution is fine. I think it's time for us to actually insist that it be followed. It doesn't need to be amended at all, including Amendment 1. All we need is the people. The difference between Texas and Florida and Illinois is the desire and willingness of its people to stand up. I am convinced in Illinois that if we have enough of our people, like you and others across this state that I talk to on a daily basis, to actually get involved, and I am frustrated with hearing, well, you know what, Tom? That's wrong, and I'd really like to do something, but my third cousin's brother's ex-sister's boyfriend's brother is a vet, and I got a dog, and if I say something, he won't treat my dog, and I'm like, I don't want to hear that. Get off the couch, quit paying so much attention to the sports channel, and get involved in your government. That's all you have to do, and you can fix it. Yes, ma'am. What does getting involved in the government look like to the grassroots people? So we need a diligent electorate. We need diligent voters to do poll watching, judge of election. We need people to be precinct committee men. We need people to run for office. Hey, listen to me. We've got 118 spots in Springfield for state house. We've got 59 for state senate. This is the first time in my involvement, I've been involved 30 years now, in politics that we've had this many good candidates running against Democrats. In other words, 
More Democrats this year are being challenged than ever before. No free passes, right? So we've got a full list. We need people to be running for office. You're hearing the same thing, ma'am. And it, it, Jason Plummer is a senator in the Metro East. He's a good friend of mine, extremely brilliant man. And, he's, and him and I talk about these things a lot. And he says, you know what the greatest fear the government has? And when you hear me talk, you guys will hardly ever hear me say Democrat, Republican, because at the end of the day, it's us. He says that the people wake up yeah. and they don't go back to sleep. Yeah. Your school boards, when, when the parents, i.e. the domestic terrorists, yeah. Yeah. started defending their children, you know what those school board members, many of them were thinking as they were sitting there? I just wish this would all go away so they would quit coming to these board meetings. Yeah. Yeah. Because your government at all levels is used to you not paying attention. All you have to do is in your own way as a person, in the best of your ability, is pay attention. Because when you're watching, when your government knows you're watching, that in and of itself is something that gets their attention. And they may be less inclined to do stupid stuff if they just know you're watching. That's it. Yes, ma'am. So because the, the jails will be essentially emptied at this point, the state and private institutions, they make money off of this. So what would you surmise is going to happen with all of those jail cells? And will they start taking overflow from other states and federal penitentiaries to make up that money? Will we get an influx from other states or potentially federal? You know, that's a pretty fluid conversation. And, and, and what's being referred to is on January 1st, when cash bail is eliminated, many of your state's attorneys and sheriffs are saying for those that are currently being held on cash bond that fall outside the seven categories that I was telling you about, are they going to release them? And many of them are saying yes, five to 6,000 statewide, I've heard. So there's going to be less people in jail. How is that going to be addressed? I mean, in my part of the state, there's jails that are gonna consolidate. You may see some state overflow coming into these jails, which they get paid $60, $70 a day. But here's, here's a question, and depending upon the county that you're in, the judges you're in front of, judges are going to be faced, assuming this law, this law doesn't get repealed, judges are gonna be faced with two extremes. Release them with nothing but a promise, which is a threat to the people under certain circumstances, or detain them until trial without any opportunity to be released, which has constitutional issues. What if a judge starts saying that I don't want to release people on just their promise because I can't get any money from them as an additional assurance that they'll comply, and they start detaining more people than they otherwise would let out on cash bonds? I can tell you that how that might look depends probably in part on this election. But I can tell you if I'm elected attorney general, Mr. Glasgow and these other 50 states attorneys won't be alone because the attorney general of the state of Illinois, being me, would attack that law as being unconstitutional as well. So it's really going to depend on the election and how they can try to get a hearing in front of the court before January 1st. And so we can't predict that yet, ma'am. Uh, can I try to get you to talk about Amendment 1? Amendment 1, what it's trying to accomplish is to take the, the relationship between employers and employees and pretty much take any particular circumstance between that relationship and allow it to be contracted in the contract. Okay, So the contractual agreement between the employer, the collective union employees, controls everything. And the, the legislature would be powerless to pass a law that supersedes or contradicts that contractual relationship. Because it would be part of the Constitution. Because it would be a constitutional amendment that would say the contract is superior. That, that's what it says. And depending on where you sit, 
you may think that's good or bad. Now here's the, ish, the only issue that I've brought up when people ask me this question, and again, I, it's one of them to where I don't even, you'll never hardly ever hear me give my opinion on it because I'm trying to be what the Attorney General should be. Here's the good, here's the bad, you all figure it out. And when I go vote, I vote the way that I feel, no more or less important than you. One of the things that this is going to do is right now in Illinois, we have a state law that says that public safety workers like law enforcement and firefighters cannot strike. They get other protections for their collective bargaining process, like expedited arbitration, etc., but they cannot go on strike. So if they get to a, you know, a place in negotiations where they're at odds and they can't reconcile, your law enforcement officers or your firefighters can't say, well, we're going on strike unless we come to an agreement. They can't do that now under Illinois law. If this amendment would pass, there would then be able to be provisions in these contracts with public safety workers where they would have the ability to strike if they can't come to an agreement. Whether you think that's a good or a bad idea for your law enforcement to have the ability to say, eh, we're at odds here, so Monday you're not going to have any police officers on the street. Is that good or bad? You decide. But all I'm saying to you is Amendment 1 would preempt this state law that disallows striking of your public safety workers. So one, one example I heard on the Dan Prof show, Dan and Amy, was uh, given by Ted Dabrowski of Wirepoints who said, look, if the teachers union in Chicago was negotiating a contract and they said, we want to teach CRT, put it in the, in the contract, there's no wiggle worm if it's, if it's approved. It's in the law. So, or, or it's, it's as good as law because of the, the, the passage of Amendment 1. So, the school boards have a say in the negotiations, but when those school board members, I mean, again, there's a big cycle here. I try not to get into my union comments too much, but there's a big cycle of the political power between a school board or the teachers' union. The teachers' unions are the most power political lobbyists in the nation. Yep. Yep. And you want your little school board to negotiate against that? Do you think that's fair? In Chicago, last year, I think four times, the Chicago Teachers Union went on strike. They were walked out. What does that do to the children's education? That's a powerful political weapon, striking, right? And the teachers' unions, I would humbly suggest to you, when they're negotiating with your little school districts, it's not an even playing field, in my opinion. Yeah. And I don't give my opinion much. Would you investigate any accusations of voter fraud or integrity problems? You know, I've answered this question in a variety of different ways. And, and you know, voter fraud and election integrity, there's not a person in the state that says that's not important, or the nation. But when it comes down to it, as the attorney general should do, and this is one of the things Kwame I didn't argue about too much, even though I don't think he's done the greatest job, is that if we can come up with real, specific, identifiable circumstances where we have problems with our election integrity, and problems with voter fraud, etc. Of course my office is going to investigate that. To say that you wouldn't would be ridiculous. But we have to be able to appreciate as people and distinguish between pursuing, investigating, and potentially prosecuting real identifiable problems versus just making general proclamations that I will look at this or I will investigate that. That's we shouldn't do that as people in any fashion. That can be dangerous and scary. We have to make sure, and that's why I'm always a proponent, and so is David, election judges and poll watchers. Because when you come and you bring forth real specific circumstances, 
That's something that we can get a hold of. That's right. But when we as our people start just batting each other back and forth about just the, the general concepts of it, it distracts us from, I think, really paying attention to the things that we need to pay attention to. Yep. Amen. Attorney Tom DeVore, the Republican candidate for Illinois Attorney General, during an event hosted by the Crete Township Republican Organization. Be sure to visit IllinoisFamily.org for voter guides and other voter resources. Please support the work of IFI and Illinois Family Action. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit IFIAction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at IFIAction.org.